Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm very well. It's been a while. Yeah, it seems like it wasn't, but it is. I don't know why I'm speaking like a robot. <laughs> I don't know, you still sound a little bit uh, poorly. Yeah, I've, I am. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sound a little husky. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I've had a rotten cold over the bank holiday weekend. That's nice time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, good. Good. <clears throat> How are you? You, you uh, busy? I'm good. Yeah. Uh, all week at Eel Pie last week. Three days this week. Um, working. Yeah, been good. Um, big wedding weekend coming up. This weekend now. Yeah, bit of a well, one tomorrow, which is a bit of a monster at Scion Park. I have to go back at midnight and pick stuff up afterwards. And then uh, a huge one at Great Foster's over at Egham tomorrow uh, on Saturday. So, yeah, it's all a bit stressful in our house at the minute. Yeah. Steph's under the cosh a little bit. Uh, how she feels. Yes, it sounds like it. <clears throat> um, do you want to talk about the show or do you want to get stuck in? or Should we just dive in? Yeah. Um, you can do the announcement then, I guess. I'll cut this bit out. <coughs> do you remember the name of it? Uh, just about. <laughs> uh, welcome to the North versus South podcast. Um, this is episode 16 of a podcast about but not about design. Featuring myself and uh, Mr. Ellerman. Good evening, John. Hello. Has <laughs> uh, your voice not broken yet? Uh, yeah, it has. It's just a bit husky, so I thought I'd try something else. That was nice. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, how are you? Uh, yeah, I've uh, just on the tail end of a, a nice summer cold um, caused, caused by my week last week, which was truly the worst week I've had since being a, uh, an independent freelancer. Yeah? Um, yeah, it was a long week. I, did, I posted 75 hours in my timesheets. Ouch. Yeah, and I think it just ruined me for the weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, it, this week is a bit of a haze, to be honest. But, um, yeah, no, uh, three weeks to go before my wife gets back from one of her shows, uh, or her final show. So um, we'll be returning to some normality. Yeah, Hopefully. is that what's kind of killing you at the minute? Juggling the work and the childcare. Uh, yeah, and just the just the workload. Um, but I should have burnt it off by three weeks, and I'm not taking any more work on. He said, having got two new jobs in today. <laughs> <laughs> I really, yeah, I'm trying to stem the tide uh, coming in because I don't. I want a quiet. Um, uh, this is like wishing bad things on yourself, but I want a quiet uh, late July, August because that's when building work really well the kitchen is going in and they need, need to be working on stuff to save some money so um <clears throat> yeah so i really want to be clear of all the work and i, I need a rest i've been yeah we, we're going to talk about this a bit later won't we but i've been going three years now and i'm 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 worn out three years non-stop yeah but it feels like that after that week, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. I just feel like I'm not, you know, I'm just literally dealing with hot potatoes and not actually doing particularly good stuff with them. I'm just, you know, <laughs> dealing, firefighting everywhere yeah. and uh, not really doing the work I'm, you know, I want to be doing. So I think I mean, it's a real common problem, isn't it, for people who work for themselves 
having to to deal with that side of things and juggle work and kind of manage a workload because you know the temptation is always that you know you you take on work whenever it's well you know to an extent pretty much whenever it's offered because you you don't want those fallow periods uh, and the work keeps coming in and it keeps stacking up uh, and you find yourself snowed under. Yeah, yeah, and you, you only get one or two delayed jobs and you're talking two or three months out of your timetable is yeah. screwed up, especially if they're larger larger projects. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, finding it tough going, it's, but it, I can't complain, can I? Well, no, it's good to be busy. Just uh, don't run yourself into the ground. Yeah. But it's difficult to schedule time off as well, isn't it, when you're a freelancer because obviously clients don't, don't really play by those rules. It's hard to say, you know, I'm not going to be available in, uh, you know, whenever it is, the second half of July, and you twiddle your thumbs until August. Yeah, I've, 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 I've experienced both sides of that in terms of um, when I first started freelancing, I decided after a year, I'd had a really good year, and um, decided I was going to go and visit my sister in Australia for six weeks, mm. um, <clears throat> which was pretty stupid because what I hadn't realised was that when I got back, obviously I didn't have any clients. So I then had spent, you know, three months trying to get work back again. And uh, and I hadn't saved any tax for my first year because I was an idiot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that really, you know, for the next tax year was horrific. <laughs> Yes, um, and then I've and then the then the opposite of that is um, I can't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you've, uh, you've experienced both sides of that kind of getting time off. Oh yeah, and then last year we went. Uh, we decided to take. Uh, we went away with the in-laws, and we went to the south of France. And I took my laptop with me, and we went for three weeks because um, I could work remotely, and they had wireless. But it just ended up that I worked every day, um, yeah. and clients didn't leave me alone even though they knew I was on holiday. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the, what the balance is. It's, yeah. it's very, very hard. What have yes. you, yeah. Uh, more interesting news. What have you been doing? Well, I don't know if it's more interesting. Uh, I've been, uh, freelancing. Well, it's been a week and uh, two weeks, hasn't it? Since we talked. So quite a lot's gone on, but I've been freelancing on Eelpai Island again. Um, which has been quite interesting because usually, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but usually when I freelance, uh, you kind of drop into companies and you work on projects that are already in motion or you, you're kind of picking up things, you're doing amends on stuff or, you know, you might be brought in just to oversee, you know, the final kind of production of something. Um, very rarely as a freelancer, well, certainly at my level, do you, do you get the chance to work on projects from the start? Um, and the last week and a half, I've worked on three brand new projects, two of them branding project, projects. Uh, one for a small pharmaceutical company with a market capitalization of a couple of hundred million quid, which is lovely to work on that kind of a project and um, quite unusual. So it's been it's been a lot of fun getting back into kind of a rhythm of really working and as a designer, um, you know, getting my head around a brief. It's the the company comes from a real. Uh, a proper marketing background. So the briefs are very well written and they come with, you know, explanatory notes and background and usually some uh, research and some studies. So there's lots to get your teeth into. Um, and you just have to 
find a way to you know use that all as a tool and not let it become a bit of a straitjacket. But it's been interesting, um, and you know, better than just doing you know little amends on stuff that's already done and dusted, really. So that's been fun. Uh, still living, working down on the island there, um, but I don't know when I'm back. There's the there's the there's the side of the freelance life. I'm not booked in now until late July with them. So I'm sure I'll be back in between, but uh, I've got to try and uh, keep myself busy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll fill it pretty quickly. Oh, I'm sure something will crop up. Yeah. So should we uh, should we move on to design you? Should we leave our little kind of anniversary chat for a bit later? Yeah. Yeah, cool. we'll come back to what we've been talking about, really, the freelancing. Yeah. Okay, uh, what, what have you got? Well, uh, Olivetti, typewriters. Uh, lovely, uh, <clears throat> kind of mid-century uh, design icons. And at the ICA in London, they're having uh, an exhibition called Olivetti, Beyond Form and Function. Uh, and it's it's all about the the uh, kind of associated stuff that went with their product design. So it's photographs, films, graphic design, advertising, uh, manuals. It's kind of all that printed and created ephemera. There's exhibition uh, photographs of their kind of showrooms. Um, and it's just beautiful stuff so i think it's definitely an exhibition i'd like to um get to it's on until the end of oh, mid-july the ice here but olivetti you know it's kind of one of those design classics isn't it you know you quite often see carefully composed photographs of designer studios and in the background on a on a hand-hewn shelf there'll be a, a mid-century olivetti sitting there um and the graphic design is every bit as gorgeous as the products yeah, some really innovative, lots of uh, lots of Italian uh, Italian graphic designs so are quite expressive and funky stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be well worth going to see. I think. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I love the old Olivetti stuff. Um, it's sort of it, it's quite fetishistic, isn't it? Uh, their design in terms of the way that it holds the product up. I mean, it is, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a typewriter, but was was the typewriter perceived back in the day as a kind of, like an iPhone or a, you know, a, I don't a Bang know, & maybe, Olufsen maybe it was, stereo? You know, you know, maybe it was. Um, I guess there was associations with the kind of great American writers, weren't they, who, who often used Olivetti typewriters. Uh, so maybe that was kind of a, a hook for them. But... Um, but yeah, I don't know. I Is that uh, what, um, murder? Murder? She wrote. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she loved to bang it out on an Italian. <laughs> Didn't she just? Yeah. Uh, yes. So that's uh, Olivetti Beyond Form and Function at the ICA until July seventeenth. So that's on my list. It's <clears throat> one we can. Perhaps uh, think about going to see if we ever get yeah. around to getting into London together. Yeah, I'm in London next week actually. Oh, uh, but only uh, yeah, only on Tuesday quickly. Right, but um, I'll start. Be, I'll start going up there, and we we will do that. Yeah. Um, what have I got? I my my one's a bit of a uh, obviously a bit of a wobbly path, but basically I saw uh, my wife sent me a thing about a 
uh, an article about a room frozen in time. And I'd collected a few of these over the last year or so because I love that kind of, you know, the hidden room in a house and it gets opened mm. up and it's completely frozen in time. Um, but hidden in this, uh, a couple of things is what, what this, this particular article is from the independent and, um, it's, uh, the title of it is, uh, inside a spectacular three million pound London mansion that hasn't been lived in since 1895. Um, which sounds very exciting. And as you start scrolling through it, you think, Actually, these photos, they're not, this isn't 1895. This is just yeah. a, a house that's in disrepair. Um, yeah. And the, the whole article, yeah, the whole article is absolute nonsense. And it uses the word Georgian classical about a hundred times throughout, which the uh, last time I checked wasn't 1895. Um, <laughs> oh. And as somebody points out in the comments below is like, there's electricity in there, guys. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just been decked out by people who are a bit stylish, and um, it's oh, an abs- it's an absolute lie. But I think the kernel of the uh, well, firstly, it's lazy journalism filling online um, uh, uh, newspapers that we've been talking about before. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. it's absolute drivel. Uh, but I think it's trying to follow on the back of a really interesting story that came out. Um, I think I read it in the Telegraph uh, a few years ago, where. Um, a lady who had left her, um, uh, she'd left her Paris uh, apartment to escape the German occupation of uh, of France, um, to and she'd moved down south, um, and she'd left the apartment exactly was it as it was, and it's only when she died that it was opened up again. So she died at the age of ninety one, and the flat is in full nineteen forties. Um, yeah, layout. That, that looks amazing, and it, it is brilliant because in there you've got all sorts of wonderful old paintings and stuff, but also a, a Mickey Mouse teddy bear, yeah, um, which just kind of brings it back into the time when it was all locked up. And, and 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 reading on um, through different articles, it seems like they they've, they've got a foundation, or the family have basically frozen the house in time, oh wow, or the apartment, and they haven't redeveloped it or sold it on. That's so it's, it's as it is, yeah. Um, but then uh, there was another story that came on from there, which goes even further back, which was that um, it was in the Atlantic um, and it's uh, scientists have discovered a cave. Well, in the, in the 90s, they discovered a cave in France. Um, my page isn't going to load now, so I'm going to have any facts. But um, uh, and it, they discovered that Neanderthals had been building walls inside caves um, which is way before they thought any human humanoid was building yeah. anything at all. But it's only when they, uh, a lady recently got uh, involved in it, who's a specialist in um, aging stalactites, because they smashed up stalactites and stalagmites. Yeah. Um, and she was able to compare the two. And, and it actually was built 175,000 years ago which is something like 120,000 years before they thought it was built, um, which is just astonishing. So it kind of suggests that Neanderthal man had a, a uh, had a complete um, society. Uh, you know, it wasn't even sure that they could talk, but yeah, yeah. they're now starting to think that they really were um, almost comparable to the human Homo sapiens that was wandering around a little bit later in his life. But yeah, I just thought that's a fantastic sort of set of three stories where yeah. one is a truth. You know, the first one is an ancient truth that we still don't know what, why they were building walls or what they were doing 
compartmentalizing these sections? Was it a religious thing? Um, and then the second one is, you know, somebody fleeing and leaving stuff uh, behind. And then the other one is just a complete fabrication yeah. for just some nice set dressing. Yeah. For, I, I don't understand what, you know, is it, was it the PR agency for the estate agent to get more money for it? Or was it just completely lazy journalism yeah. trying to fill a hole? Sure I don't know, that. but, um, yeah, it, it's uh, they're just three things. I just call I title them frozen rooms, and yeah, I think they're fantastic. really they are really interesting things. Yeah, uh, have you ever been to? Um... No, <laughs> I know which way the the house in. No, no. Well, I don't know. Um, GF Watts's place in um, the place near Godalming. I can't remember the name of. No, uh, the Watts Chapel. Uh, yeah, no, my the in-laws rave about that place. The, 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 chapel. the, the, the chapel built by the wife, yeah. Yes, that's <clears> one <throat> of the most amazing things I've ever seen. But also just down the road, uh, a few hundred yards up the road, is uh, Limnalis, I think it's called, which sounds completely like something from a Tolkien novel, uh, which was his house and um, studio, and it's open to the public. And his studio is just like, it looks like he's just stepped out to make himself a cup of tea. And it's really eerie. And it's not, it hasn't been fancily, you know, arranged or, you know, there's no uh, incredible kind of detailed information about it. You walk into a study and you, into a studio and you can walk around. And it really does just feel like he's just stepped out. And it's, it's fantastic. And there's quite a few places that try and do that. And not, I don't think many pull it off. You know, when you go to um, stately homes and things and, you know, it's, this is, yeah, I don't know, you know. Churchill's study or whoever's and they very rarely get it right I don't think but this is one of them uh, the one I thought you were talking about is it Dennis Seaver's house um, I don't know uh, yeah where he completely um, it's a house uh, I think oh, this, I remember listening to it on a Robert Elm show where the guy left it it's a sort of um, playful thing where the people have literally just run it it feels like when you walk around it that they've just run out of the house so when you go around it it's a Georgian townhouse um, but the fire's still going there's food on the table yeah. you know it's almost like um, yeah they're, they're, they're hiding yeah um, and I've never been there but I've got lots of friends who have been and they do say it's a fantastic and place to go to it's in Shoreditch I think okay um Hang on, I'll find it. Uh, it's in Folgate Street. Yeah, Spitalfields. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Not far down from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely want to go and see it. Have a look at the photos. Again, it's a sort of frozen in time house. Fascinating stuff. Yes. <clears throat> um, my next bit <clears throat> is, uh, I can't remember where I saw this article, um, but it is about um, a service uh called Leading Strand, or a project called Leading Strand, conceived by a neuroscientist. And it brings together scientists with designers to explain scientific breakthroughs, um, which I think is an amazing idea. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, haven't, I hadn't seen that in your notes. That's a fantastic um, idea. I think when, um, when, was it? when the Higgs boson was discovered, there was a huge kind of outcry that started, that it rippled from the design, uh, you know, community and rippled outwards and consumed everyone, which was the fact that one of one or two of the slides in their presentation when they discovered the Higgs boson was set in Comic Sans. And um, there, was, there was something about, 
you know, you shouldn't let the fact that this man is using PowerPoint and Comic Sans devalue the work he's doing. Science and design. I think it's a fascinating idea to um, to bring designers and scientists together. Um, you know, scientists are kind of obviously not going to be natural at presenting their work in a visual way. And this project is designed to matchmake scientists and designers so to help communicate complex scientific ideas. Um, I think it talks about designers, but it's also about medical illustrators, exhibit designers, painters. Um, I think it's a fascinating idea uh, and a really good good little project. So, Yeah, I I'm going to have to look into that. So what, it's just a sort of volunteer thing, so people explaining so. different parts of science. Yeah. Because, you, know, you, you know me, I, I need that. Um, <laughs> well, no, I think your work on um, uh, gravitational waves was stunning. <laughs> uh, so it's called the leadingstrand.org um, project, and you can join and collaborate, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be, um, I think it's worth, well, the blog is empty at the minute, but I think it's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, ah, good one. Um, I'm going to I'm going to promote one of my stories just to follow on from that because mm. um, it's not really a story. It's just a a guy is writing a book. Um, he's a web, I'd call him a designer, um, interface designer, UX chap. Um, his name's Brad Frost, uh, and he's writing a book called Atomic Design. And he's basically breaking down his concept is breaking down design, especially online design, into a uh, into tiny little components. So okay. he, he and he's using the um, the metaphor of kind of uh, where does he start? He starts with atoms. So an atom is a is a button or a, an input. Um, so mm -hmm. a, a tiny little bit of information. And then you put a couple of those together and you get a molecule. That might be a search bar um, or a Twitter box or, you know, a logo with a, a strap line underneath it. And then you combine those and you get organisms. I don't know where they make the jump from living, to, from matter to living, but there we go. Um, the organisms is like, a, you know, would be a section with uh, maybe a, a slideshow or whatever inside it. And then then they fold into actual real living things like templates and pages. Um, and he's sort of, and somebody's drawn up a guy called Joss Duck has, I'll put the link in the show notes, but he's drawn up an HTML periodic table um, that goes alongside it, sorting out all of the different elements into, into what they, what they uh, represent. Okay. <clears throat> it's a, it's a really interesting way uh, of breaking down, design because when you're designing a website you're designing a lot of components and it can become overwhelming so i think to break it down into these little chunks and to reuse lots of little elements as yeah. you do with print design in in many respects yeah but um is is a really interesting way he's built a bit of software that that automates that process for you um it's, it's probably way beyond way out of my league um and he's an incredibly bright guy, but I think it could be a really interesting book about design. Um, and it also cut, it also touches on what we've been talking about is, you know, the, the homogenization of design and the lack of creativity yep. and, and are these, are, are these kind of these books, are they driving us towards even more of this, you know, where we're becoming, we're, we're creating so many rigid, um, ways of doing things, you know, that the header must always go up there. The footer must always go there. Um, are they, you know, 
are they essential things like books? You know, the cover must go on the cover yeah, yeah. and the back cover must go on the back cover. Um, do we need to start pulling at, pulling at the stitching a bit I'm more? I'm sure that'll happen. <clears throat> do you think? I think it's just a phase, you know, it's still a reasonably new... Yeah, um, we've just, we've discussed, yeah, we've discussed it before and, and yeah. I'm sure we'll come back to it again. I just thought it was an interesting, um, sort of jump after your science, science, uh, designers helping scientists and, uh, the other way around. Yeah. I um, like that. Yeah. Um, just the opposite, um, taking one of your links and one of mine, um, about a kind of, uh, companies returning to their roots. So we've got the co-op. I'm stealing your um, link here, by the way. The Corp has unveiled its new logo, which harks back to its 1968 uh, classic logo. Uh, and British Steel, which we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, there was talk of them reviving their David Gentleman-designed logo, the classic kind of rolled steel S. Um, and then it's come out today that they haven't gone to that. They've um, They've got a new design, from a company called Ruddux, who I haven't heard of before, but perhaps that's just my ignorance. Um, I quite like the British Steel one. Nice orange. Uh, I don't get that it's supposed to be a, a kind of a combined B and an S, but I don't really get the S. No. Uh, for me, if that's an S, it's backwards. Um, it looks more like a stylized map of Scotland. Um, but as a mark... I think it's quite strong. Um, I haven't got anything against it at all. Um, oh, I, don't, I don't think they've given that any consideration whatsoever. <laughs> I, I think that it's a it's a PowerPoint logo that was knocked up for a presentation of the buyers coming in to buy the thing. It seems like there's no heritage in there whatsoever. Well, hang, um, on. hang on. Just hang on one minute there, Element. Core values of pride, passion and performance have been imbued into the icon. <laughs> through a funnel distilled through a muslin over a weekend yeah Yeah. um no it to me it sounds like a a rush job i I haven't seen any other elements to the branding so i you know um i i i I wait to be amazed yeah there's a there's a design link uh design week link there and it shows a few of their other examples but um very limited but you know it's like it does a job. I mean, it's massively more important that the industry survives than it has a good logo, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think on the, if you flip that over and look at the co-op branding, theirs is entirely the opposite to that. They've created an entirely new system. I mean, they're using the old logo, but yeah. they really have gone to town. Um, but I just I read the article in a bit more depth, and um, they've they've employed some serious talent. They basically, oh, yeah. they basically nabbed... Uh, the government digital service yes. entire creative team, yeah. um, which is really, really interesting in, from in terms of branding, because I wouldn't necessarily put digital people in charge of branding, but what they've done is they've, they've come at it in a fresh approach and really stripped it back bare um, and haven't tried to put any elements that are, I don't know, that are going to challenge people. Yeah. Um, but what it does is it just lets the old mark, you know, do its job. I wonder whether it feels a bit too much like a bank or too clean for a supermarket. Um, but it's a massive improvement over what they've got at the moment because it's an absolute shambles. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, their own brand stuff on their shelves is going to look like um, a bit like a film set. 
<laughs> yeah. it's going back to the international styling isn't it uh, yeah. you know just like product yeah. I mean I really like it I think, I think it's, it's cracking I really do stuff. I think they've done a love I, I, you know I admire Ben Terrett I think is yeah, the, yeah. He, he's someone I really uh, I, I didn't realise it was him involved in it and yeah. I, I've, I've read quite a lot of his stuff in, over the years and uh, I think he's just got such a smart mind yeah he um, stuff yeah and I, I just think you know they've they've assembled a really good team I, it'd be interesting to see what they do digitally and, and how they're going to use that to um, f- fix co-op's many problems well um, that's the thing isn't it you know co-op does have you know fundamental problems I mean it was a couple of years ago that they're you know, they'd lost, was it a, a billion and a half pounds buying a, a bank or a building society? It was, you know, there was all these tales of mismanagement. The, the uh, chief exec, I think it was, uh, got um, convicted of drugs charges. You know, it was a real shambles. Yeah. So I think it's kind of uh, almost obvious that they've harked back to their their roots, you know, both as a company and in their branding. Yeah, um, to sort of cleanse the palate of all the all the ignominy that's been there. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, but both, uh, yeah, really lovely. I mean, I haven't. I, I don't hate the um, British Steel thing, but um, I don't love it. I think it had been nicer if they'd have gone down the corporate and used that heritage in a in a new way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a shame, but um, it's up to them, isn't it? Eh? In it, in it, just. Uh, my la- uh, my last one is um, something very dear to my heart that I read every day. Um, is Richard Scarry? Yeah, uh, Busy Town, him of Busy Town and Lowly Worm and Huckle the Cat. Uh, he, um, Paul Smith, the British iconic designer clothes designer uh did you ever go to his show at the design museum i didn't oh it was cracking really yeah, yeah really really enjoyed it i just i think he's a an amazing person yeah, um and uh he um has done a limited edition um cars and trucks and things has been republished but under paul smith's um uh I don't know what you're saying. Leadership, really. He's designed the front cover with um, Richard Scarry, who's passed away now, with his son, who's called Huck. Um, and uh, it's there's two versions of it. One's a 25 quid book, which I urge you to go and buy. It's in a nice slip case. And the other one is a 100 quid limited edition signed by Paul Smith. If you really love Richard Scarry, hurry and go and get one. Yeah. Um, and it's got posters and cards and all sorts of things inside it um and if you've never seen the drawings of richard scarry just lose yourself for a an hour or so in them because they're just fabulous and would, the kids would, love them yeah i'd love to have another look i haven't seen i haven't you know actually looked at a, a richard scarry book for you know 35 years i don't think well we've got like we've got a couple now we've got one called what do people do all day which kitty will does not stop reading um yeah. and but it explains like the most amazing things like you know how paper is made and how wood is processed and mm. how oil comes out the ground and um and she's just fascinated by you know how trains work and what how do they you know how do hospitals work and all sorts of things like that and they're just drawn in these lovely loose slightly crazy um animals doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things um and he breaks you know the fourth wall he doesn't you know he doesn't stick to perspective he doesn't you know they're not they're not um 
formulaic in any way. Uh, he, yeah. you know, they're really, they're really great books. Um, but yeah, the Paul Smith ones, I put the link there. They just, they look beautiful. Um, and it's great to see somebody championing, uh, uh, an illustrator who I love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Yes. Well, that's, that's all my news. Have you got any more? <coughs> Anything else? <clears throat> uh, I don't think I have actually. Uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, there's one little thing, um, which I guess is a little bit of uh, kind of art and science coming together again, which is the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Um, this has been all over Twitter and the design blogs and stuff, but I think it was really quite nice. Toronto Symphony Orchestra, for a couple of years now, have been producing a graphic design, uh, a guide to their music. So it's a like a listening guide for their audience members. Uh, and it uses symbols and graphic elements and kind of code that looks a little bit like Morse code to guide them through the music and kind of help them understand it. Um, and it's kind of annotated. So you kind of, you can look at what's going on in the music and then you get a description of kind of which, which musical instruments are coming in. And um, I think for people who are, you know, not absolutely immersed in classical music knowledge i think it's a fascinating and brilliant idea yeah i i'm i'm um i'm on the other side of the fence Are there you? yeah i i one i hate well, the one because, i hate this the, is because you went to posh school no i i, I was never in the music um i'm never into music but the the uh no i just think that um f- graphically i think they're hideous um <laughs> <laughs> is i say what i think there um i just think they look confusing and obnoxious and i it just hurts my eyes to look at it i wouldn't bother reading that um i think the icons are, uh, it looks like a baguette more than an oboe um anyway that but also uh what was i listening i was watching uh, an interesting program the other day which uh was i don't know where i saw it it was on bbc iplayer and i'm not sure it's on the actual television i think it might just be an iplayer only program mm-hmm. and it's presented by frank skinner and he goes to celebs houses and they pick three programs of the week that they've been watching um and chat about it which sounds the most like you know the most awful inane mid-afternoon program which it probably is but the one that i watched was really good it was with um chris packham who's just brought out his memoir um uh, something about a sparkle jar, which is cracking, actually. Uh, really interesting bloke. If you, you know, if you can get over his uh, obnoxious eighties lifestyle um, when he was Terry Nutkin's little acolyte. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, quite a challenge, challenging guy. But they were talking about um, there's a program that one of the ones they reviewed where I can't remember what it's called, but Goldie uh, went to look at Matisse's paper cutouts and they just filmed gold, you know, Goldie, uh, him of trip hop fame. Mm -hmm. Um, he uh, just filmed him talking about the art and just going off on one about how it made him feel, um, without any notes, without any kind of guide. And it was just brilliant. Um, I'll find out what the, I can't remember what the, uh, what the program was called, but, they were talking about how much they loved that. The fact that when they, when they go to art, they don't read the guides and they like to see how it makes them feel, you know, internally without reading any history or any kind of like, this is how you should feel. I don't deny that. And I feel that when you're sitting, listening to a symphony, the last thing you want to be doing is told that this is, you know, 
<laughs> this is what the artist meant when they transitioned from oboe to, you know, electric I don't know guitar. If it goes that far, but I, I, you know, I think it's a choice you make, isn't it? You know, you can sit back and enjoy it in all your ignorance, or you can use this guide. I think it's cool. Yeah, and I don't. <laughs> NVS is kicking off last two uh, weeks. Yeah, it has a bit, hasn't it? <laughs> right, moving swiftly on. Yeah. Happy bloody birthday. Uh, yes. Happy birthday, John. <laughs> do you want to do that first or do you want to do No, no, let's BOM? do that. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah, so uh, you, uh, Rob is celebrating 10 years as being a freelancer uh, this yeah. month? Last, uh, month? last month. Right. It was my 10th year as this northern boy. Right, um, which isn't quite as uh, a bigger, as momentous uh, mark as, as yours, because I've kind of dipped in and out of freelance, and it's. But you know, as a kind of a little identity running, you know, I'm quite pleased to have kind of kept that uh, kept that running for ten years, really. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, I'm three years old this week, which explains your response to that last highbrow. Uh, Article I picked out, I think. Like a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. <coughs> and I won't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been going through... John. Uh, well, yeah, we survived. Paid the mortgage for three years. Um, yeah. I wanted to touch on the... The... The, tr- the difficulty I have calling myself a freelancer because I don't f- feel that I freelance and I don't feel that going to clients calling myself a freelance when I'm directly in contact with clients. You're a, um, a one-man agency. Yeah. I, and I've fought against that for a long time, but I've really swung round recently um, in terms of revenue <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of respect. Um, I just don't think I'm a freelancer. Um and I think I'm a self-employed designer. I, I know there's there's not much of a differentiation there. No, but I think there is a huge difference. Yeah. I when, when we but I don't know, to... when did we start calling ourselves freelancers? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been a freelancer. No, I've never gone in. Well, t- I've, I've gone in once or twice to different people's studios, but it's not for me. Exactly. We talked about that when we were both working at Surda, you know, and you sort of said then that you couldn't see yourself you know, approaching design in that way or as a, as a job in that way of going into studios and kind of working with, you know, with different people. That just kind of wasn't the, the approach you wanted to take to it. Um, and I think for me, part of that looks like it's come from the fact that you've already run your own, your own agency, you know, so it's very hard to kind of go back to working for someone else, isn't it? When you've, you've had your own baby, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 you know, yeah. I, um, I definitely need to pull myself an agency and start charging a bit more agency fees, I think. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I written down is longevity. And w- what is the benefit in, in longevity? What does it do to be running for a long time? How, how do you think it, does it give you, does it give you momentum? I think that's, uh, in terms of business, you know, continued business. Um, and especially as a freelancer, do you find the more years, the more contacts you have, or do you just get sections where you do six months with one particular company and then you find another one and you, that's how it's been for me. You know, I'm almost like a serial monogamist when it comes to freelancing. You know, I tend to, you know, I'll get called into a place for a few days and that, you know, quite often turns into, 
months or a year. Um, but that's probably my limit, really. And that's when I start getting bored and looking for, you know, somewhere else to work. Um, and I think for me, like I said before, from my point of view, being a freelancer, you don't always get the interesting work to work on. But you can always get something out of wherever you're working and the people you work with. But I think generally after a year, you know, you might have, you might have, uh, that well may well have run dry. So that's why it's always good for me to change, to meet new people, to work on different projects, different clients. Um, it's, you know, you kind of get invigorated by, uh, different, different projects, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I wrote a lot of this down when I was feeling very tired last night, but I, <laughs> I, I have written, you know, the whole sort of, uh, my business has not been built on, uh, portfolios, talking, sharing, any of that kind of thing that I used to do. Um, it's literally been nose to the grindstone. And, uh, but I do think the more I go on that is, is it really worth building all of these like portfolios, you know, uh, an online portfolio to, to show off my work when actually I'm only as good as my last job with a recommendation from the previous client. Um, I think that's probably wrong. Um, but it does, it, I do, I am filled with doubt about whether it's worth spending any time. I mean, I literally, when I went self-employed, I put a website up in a week and I haven't touched it. I think I wrote a couple of blog posts and that's it. I haven't written one for about two years now. Um, and it hasn't, I've worked every day, you know, so. Oh, you're buzzing today. Yeah, it still keep, keeps doing that. Send it back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I should have done that in the gap. I think it depends how you're going to approach uh, getting new business. If you're happy with relying on recommendations, which is a brilliant way to get work, you know, it's free. Um, then does it matter if your website's not up to date? Probably not. I guess there's the occasional person who's going to be, you're going to be recommended to and they'll have a look at your website and might turn their nose up at, you know, not seeing an update on it for 18 months, but generally they're probably just going to give you a call. If you want to kind of spread your little designy tentacles, <coughs> I did say tentacles, uh, and look for work in you know different sectors or yeah, perhaps uh, bigger companies. Then maybe you do need that presence, and you know that then becomes a a marketing tool for you, doesn't it? Oh yeah, no, you're you're right, you're right. It's just uh, it's just you just sort of look back on this sort of like I don't know, just frenzy of work. You know, the amount of work I've got through over the last three years is just ridiculous um and i could probably pick out you know five or six things that i really love doing mm -hmm. um but i look at the end of the day it's like you know i've paid the mortgage and that's it you know that was my main concern and i have to shift out of that now i have to change uh and become something else but it's like how do you keep you know three years is long enough that's a that's a business has survived you know normally it's mm -hmm. two years isn't it that they you yeah. go, you go tits up, but, um, how do you keep the fire stoked when you're changing gear or direction? How, how do you do that? It, it's incredibly difficult, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, I'm trying to do that with my illustration at the minute, which is go from being someone who is really still a hobby, um, 
to to kind of putting that on a more professional footing. And it's a really difficult change to make kind of mid-stride. You know, I almost feel like, I mean, this is completely the wrong way to look at it. You almost feel like you need to kind of stop completely before you can change direction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I've I've also you know battled with that one. Is but the problem is that you then just end up procrastinating about every single micro decision. What's yeah. you know, it, it's best to just do something, put it out there, and see what happens, and then do the next thing, like you've done, really. Um, you know, in the last year or so. Yeah, um, but it also you know my illustration, the illustration side of this northern boy is just very you know random. You know, I do draw a lot and do quite a lot of commissions and I do put it all out there and it continues to get me that level of work. But I want to be getting bigger jobs. So, you know, I need to make some kind of a change to make, whether it's I start thinking about more commercial, doing kind of commercial work just for myself, but so I've got something to show commercial clients. Um, But then kind of stopping to to do that different kind of work is always difficult when you've got other stuff on and you've got freelance design work which is the the bit that pays the bills Mm. so what do you see the next 10 years how how do you see that um going and what's your what's your what's your real dream for, for to happen over the next few years um I'm still pretty convinced that it's going to be book illustration Um, because, you know, I've toyed with the idea and uh, because I've written quite a few stories uh, of working in kind of indie comics and self-published comics and things, but I'm just not, at no point do I see myself being um, a comic artist or working in sequential art. I think I could probably write them, but not draw them. So that, I think I've, you know, that's been knocked on the head as a concept. And I think my art probably lends itself to to illustrating, you know, certain points within a story rather than illustrating the story itself. You know, they're kind of little screenshots of what's going on. Um, so, yeah, I think book illustration, um, you know, I've done one. The next one I want to do... You know, I want to just have my name on it rather than two or three people's name on it. Um, so whether I have to write something or... But that's that's something I want to happen in the next 12 months, let alone less, uh, the next decade. That's the aim. Ah. What about you? What's the next three years? Well, I think it's moving into the garage as a studio, so I'm not in a little room yeah probably employing somebody mm-hmm. um and uh and being more professional <laughs> uh, actually building a little brand and a process and a methodology that i apply to all my clients rather than adapting to bend to the will of the client as i have been because uh, it's exhausting and then uh my print my little print studio i really I really want to push that. I just need 
the energy and the time to to go and do it but that's yeah. that's what i see the next five years um we'll definitely be here for another five years so um i think that would be it and then and then perhaps teaching i think uh, it really appeals to me to move into teaching um if i can make any money from it yeah um because it doesn't pay very well but there's a great uh art school near here winchester um there's southampton there's loads of places and i think i'd like to change direction and move that way um move into that kind of that kind of world that's Def- a great idea you know you uh you uh you walk the walk but you're very good at talking it as well <laughs> you know you do you've got quite a, uh, a clear way of discussing design and the process and kind of all those elements about it i think i learned a lot from you working with you i haven't always managed to put all that into practice but uh but yeah i think you'd be great at that that's very nice of you to say so money is in the post Uh, marvelous um it's interesting you're saying about teaching because the uh, eel pie island they've got a um they've got a work experience lad in who's in his first year at studying graphic design at um kingston Kingston University or something. Good rep. Uh, And it's been quite interesting talking to him because, you know, he's very new to it. Um, And I think so far at uni, they've they've talked about things in quite airy-fairy ways. So it's been been good for me to talk to him about a bit more of the kind of process, not the technical, you know, how to use Illustrator or how to use Photoshop. But a little bit about the process of, you know, perhaps how you go about looking at a brief and kind of analysing it and getting the best out of it. Um, And I always find that when you get the opportunity to talk about things like that, you always end up learning something about it yourself, Um, which is great for me. You know, I feel, like I said before, about doing the different kind of design the uh, the last week or two. I feel like that uh, I've kind of upped my level a bit, and this is kind of part of that, you know, discussing it and and thinking about how I work. So that's been a real good benefit of the kind of that little teaching aspect of things. Yeah, that's interesting because when I used to, you know, I'd say a, a big inverted commas, but mentor people in the studio, and mm. um, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed from it but it was that it pushed me to learn um and to know um and be sure of what i what i was uh what i was saying and to actually follow the practice if you sort of mean so yeah. you know putting my mouth putting my mouth where my where my money where my <laughs> mouth was um but uh yeah i i did enjoy that element of it of, of challenging people making people think people don't like thinking it's hard and it's easier to just do nice pretty shapes yeah. and um you know if you know a client's gonna respond in a certain way you just you get into those you know those habits the 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 latex the memory foam of the mattress is you know easy to lie in so i think um it's best to sometimes it's good to to sleep on the floor. <laughs> I mean, if you take my metaphor, that was the most awful think. rubbish metaphor ever. Um, yeah. So, and I think the other thing I was, you know, is, is looking back on stuff. Um, nostalgia is a dangerous, uh, a dangerous fog that we look into that distorts yeah. and bends um, the past. And so we have to be very careful about looking back and, and seeing, you know, <clears throat> 
what it is that that has brought us here um it's easy to make a really a really good story for yourself isn't it um yes but actually most of it's just purely accidental <laughs> post rationalizing your entire career yeah that's what i i i i'm i'm the king of post rationalization oh, we all have to be <laughs> to an extent um what when you talk about um hiring someone in kind of what level uh yeah, this, is, this is the difficult thing is do you it? want someone young and malleable <clears throat> oh yes please <laughs> uh i don't think so i'm looking to partner with somebody on my level uh but I, it's very very hard you know um I tricky can, to find someone that's got the same level of commitment and you know time so you both kind of got a, an equal balance of yeah I've, d- I've done it before and and it even with people you really, you know, love working with, it soon it, it, people have different worth ethics, and I think it's very hard to uh, to share that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially one to what you know when you're just two. Um, it's easier when you're a bit, a bit bit bigger than that. So I don't know. I'm on the I'm on the prowl. So if anybody <laughs> lives in the uh, GU34 area and is a senior designer level, do get in touch. This is LinkedIn. Oh, sorry. Do I have to pay some kind of fee? <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see how that goes for you. <laughs> well, out of our... Uh, the, the, the fact that, that anybody in Hampshire is listening to this, is a, it would be a miracle. I'd be interested, actually, talking about who's listening where, I'd be really interested to know who our furthest flung listener is. Oh, right. So if, if you're on uh, the British Antarctic Survey on, um, you know... Um, the Ross Ice Shelf. Uh, <clears throat> please do get in touch if you're listening. Well, um, you can actually or, see. Uh, can you? Yeah, hang on a sec. I don't okay. think it, I don't think it would be very far. Let's look over it of all time. Uh, oh, they changed the stats on here. Oh. The Philippines. We got one one listener. There you go. That's. Do you think it's uh, a Marcos? I don't know. A shoe hoarding Marcos. We got two in New Zealand. <clears throat> Quite far flung. You don't get much more far flung than that. Mainly the uh, mainly in the UK. Yeah, yeah, a lot in the UK. The, the Republic of Korea. Mm. Yeah, is that the North? Haiti. Hang on, is the Republic of the Korea the North or the uh, South? Uh, no, oh, no, it's a di- it's a no, no that'd be the Democratic Republic, Republic wouldn't yeah. it? Okay, that'd but, be yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we need to reach out to. Uh, some exotic places. Guam. Well, maybe we need to... Re- <laughs> Guam. No, that's, that's top six. Oh, wow. I imagine that's a router thing. That's routing through that yeah. island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, have you ever read the Cryptonomicon? Uh, Neil Stevenson. Yeah. Yes. So good. I love his books. Oh, Snow Crash is one of my favourite books. I haven't there. read it. I haven't read it. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, I'm going to read that one. But that is, that is about data and pipelines, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, brilliant. Talking of which, uh, we were the book of the month. Uh, we haven't chosen one yet, so and we're well behind, aren't we? But you put in a, a good suggestion, I think. Um, well, I thought perhaps, you know... Except you used the, the phrase graphic novel like you're in the 90s or something, Grandad. What, what are they called now? Comics. <laughs> They're not comics, are they? <laughs> are they? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. But anyway, the, the book of the month is going to be The Watchman. 
Oh, have uh, you chosen that because of my thought, ac- because of my fat fingers? Because of your <laughs> accidental purchase. Yeah, I bought it by accident. Yeah, <laughs> did you really buy? It yeah, because I was um, I I've got comic comicology on my yeah. iPad. Yeah, which on the larger iPad is amazing, uh, and um. I do quite a lot. I read quite a lot. I do love printed comics, though. So yeah. I, I must admit, I, I, I would I would normally go for that. But um, I was looking to see how much it was. And then I thought, oh, I'll go and see how much it is on Amazon. But it turns out Amazon have bought Comixology. Um, so now when you go and buy a comic, it's a, you get both the Comixology and the Kindle version of it oh, okay. as, as, as rolled into one. Yeah. So um, And then I just pressed buy it now, thinking I was pressing wish list or whatever. So, yeah, and then it just dropped into my comicsology. That's a really interesting story, isn't it, of how to purchase a comic online. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so The Watchmen. Come on, tell yes. us all about The Watchmen. What's it all about? Well, do you know, I'd, I'd tell you more about it if I could lay my hands on a copy, so you'd have to tell us about it, John, because I can't see my copy anyway. It's Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Yeah. And it's uh, uh, it's a classic of the genre. Well, I haven't read it since I borrowed a copy off of someone at school. So you borrow a copy off me, did you? Is that where it's gone? No, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. But it, no, it was. I, I read it. Is it when, when, when did it come out? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, nicked it. Mid eighties. Yeah, so I must have read it in 1988, 87, 88. Yeah, like I don't think I read it until the mid nineties. Yeah, um, and I haven't read it since. So I'm looking forward to it. But it's isn't it? It's sort of a, about superheroes who've gone a bit wrong. Is that- yeah, I think it was one of the first uh, comics that dealt with superheroes as people rather yeah. than, you know, uber men. Yeah. Um, you so- know, giving them flaws. Um, so it's a gritty, grimy, brutal uh, story about uh, about a, a group of superheroes. Yeah. So kind of like what they did with um, Marvel Ultimate. Uh, yes. And uh, Mark Miller and... All that kind of stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> but that was yeah, 20, was. 20, nearly 30 years later, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely the first of that that ilk. I think there's a lot more have followed it since. But you put some interesting comics uh, in there as well that I haven't... Like Akira, Akira, is that a comic book? I thought that was a film, but is that... A, is, comic book first. Ah, right. I've, uh, never, I've never read that. I think it's in two volumes. I haven't either, which is why it's on the list. Mm. Um, but I mean, the film I adore... Um, but I'd really like to to read the comic. Yeah, you know, there'll be people who listen to this who like comics are thinking well, they've not read Akira. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a comic. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not a big Japanese uh, anime. Is it manga? Mm. Manga. I'm not a big manga fan. Anime, so I guess the animation of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, m- uh, Mouse was your next one, which is yep. terrific. Um, what's his name? Art. Spiegelman, is it? Yes. Um, that's a terrific book. Um, again, I read that when I was at school. And then you've got Batman Not Dark Knight Returns, which is quality. Yep. Um, and actually, uh, somebody gave me, a client gave me, um, is it Superman 1 or is it the reboot yes, of that? It's a similar so. sort of... Yeah, is that a Frank Miller thing as well? Mm, don't know. It's up on my shelf somewhere. But yeah, I enjoyed that as well. But then you've got Asterius Polyp. Now, I have heard of that, but I don't know what that is. Me neither. Um, <laughs> the last three... Uh, Sounds I like re- something I went to my GP with. I asked for recommendations on um, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter for, uh, you know, classic graphic novels that I wouldn't have heard of. So that, yes. that's Mysterious Polyp, Black Hole. I've read Black Hole. Oh, have you? Is Char- that by Charles... 
something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the art in it, the story, meh. Uh, but it's kind of like about a plague that affects teenagers and uh, when they have sex. Um, so it's a bit like swamp thing. It's, it's yeah, it's good. Gothic, yeah. I'd say. Um, and the underwater world, I've never heard of that one. What's no, that? I haven't either. Um, that sounds remember. dangerous, but yeah, <laughs> or tricky. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, that's a, a list we can. Yeah, no, I'm definitely adding some of those to my uh, wish list because I've read quite a lot of comic books recently. Um, well, over the last few years, um, from Hell, I enjoyed immensely. From Hell's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. the art in that is something special. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I like picking up the you know the collections of comic stories. I do. I can't read you know single issues because you pay three or four pounds for them, and uh, you know that's a completely perfect price to pay for the amount of work that's gone into them but you know i i read a comic in yeah you burn through them don't four you? minutes my sister's boyfriend is a massive fan of um sandman and i read yes. the first collection of that i enjoyed that a lot um so i need to carry on with that because there's about a billion of them yeah. on there you don't like the sandman i don't like the art in it yeah i did i didn't enjoy the art that much but it does change quite a lot doesn't it as it goes through yeah um, but I like I like the under I like the underlying story. One of mm. my favourite artists is Brian Talbot, who used to do um, I think he did Dread at one point, uh, but he definitely did Nemesis, who is one yes. of my favourite things of all time. But he wrote some brilliant comic books. We're going to go into comic book talk here, aren't we? Maybe um, we just need to dedicate an episode to comics. He he wrote he wrote one recently called Granville. I think he's done an, okay. a sequel to it, which is about a, a sort of Victorian steampunk badger policeman. Oh, I had seen that. It's brilliant. So obviously that does stick in your mind, doesn't it? Uh, I haven't read it, but yeah, I'd seen that that was, uh, that was a thing. Yeah, and uh, he's, he's an astonishing talent. Um, yeah. And his he had this comic book that, I, again, I read at school um, that was the, li- the Life and Times of Luther Arkwright, which was about a... It um, sounds time- like he's just going through the cast of Open All Hours. Yeah. <laughs> no, this was about a time-travelling uh, human being who flips between the steampunk kind of Victorian uh, future and the English Civil War. Um, and uh, it's, it's great. It's really, really good. I, I haven't seen it as a published thing. I, I bought an old, old copy on eBay, um, but yeah. I don't know if it's been republished, but it's it's, a, it's definitely a good one. The second one's mm. not so good, but the first one is awesome. It's got, cool. you know, Ma- Maggie Thatcher in it and Prince Charles and yeah. there's all sorts, you know, characters. Um, yeah. Anyway, we, we, we went, off, went off on one there. Um, I guess we end up at pies, don't we? Uh, we do. What you got? I've got a... Uh Chicken leek and gammon pie from uh, the food hall in Church Street in Twickenham, which I've had their pies before and they've been mixed. Um, but this smells amazing. It's the gammon that I can smell. So I'm going straight in. Can you guess what I've got to accompany it, John? Uh, a cider. <laughs> no, I meant the sauce. Oh, brown sauce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm... I'm drinking uh, a Dinkalaka. Right. Which I've had before, which is uh, the local beer of my, uh, where my mother-in-law's from in Germany. Is it good? It is good. It's a lager, really, but, you know, it's good. All right, going in for the pie. Very, very hot. 
this is this is what everyone's been waiting for. You might have to do your. <laughs> okay, I'll do mine quickly. <clears throat> Mine's based on uh, um, co-op, the rebrand. Thought mm-hmm. I'd get a couple of pies from there. So uh, Jessica's brought me back uh, a beer, which is Old Peculiar, the legend, it says underneath yep. it. Um, way too strong for my liking. Um, very dark beer. Was it about six and a half percent or something? It's, it's 5.6. Oh, okay. But Theakston's is a is definitely a beer of university days of early nineties. Yeah. Um, so the first one is a cla- is a snack. I've got two because they're only little ones. Well, the first one is a snack pork pie, right? Yeah. And it's horrific. <laughs> it's. Does it taste like it's from nineteen sixty eight? Yeah, it does. Um, it, I'm trying to think what it tastes of. It tastes of onions mainly. Ah. And uh, it's very soggy and very greasy. Um, the second one is a classic Milton Mowbray. Right. No jelly. Dry. Mm. No, not good. As a pairing, it barely warrants a two. Oh, dear God. Yeah, really greasy. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. So they need to work on their pies. So have you digested yours now? Hmm. Yeah, um, it's delicious actually. So it's, a, it's got the kind of traditional chicken and leek thing going on. Nice crispy, flaky pastry, but the, the kind of really smoky gammon is uh, is fantastic. So this gets uh, it's a seven and a half. That's good. Yeah, it's good. Really good. Delicious little pie. Did well there. Oh, well, I guess we're, we're we were um, filling time, and now we're one, one hour seven. So um, we need to say goodbye. We do. It's been a delight. It's been Jonathan. a good one. Yeah, yeah really enjoyed it. It's nice talking fun. to you. I'm so sorry about last week, um, no, but we'll it's... try and get back onto the uh, the wagon again. Yeah, um, absolutely. I won't have time next week to to meet up or anything, but um, I'll definitely be up in your neck of the woods probably the week after actually uh, yeah. in Sunbury I'll be so okay. um, I will give you a bell and yep, we can we'll go for lunch. a spot of lunch yeah marvellous um, but then we need to go to that ICA and look at that don't we yeah we need to well let's go look at something <laughs> somewhere <laughs> alright yeah, then that'll be good alright okay. John really yeah. good to talk to you you too take right. care and good luck this weekend yeah thank you alright all, all the best now. bye